Hey, history lovers, I'm Mike Rosenwald with Retropod, a show about the past rediscovered. Back in the mid-1990s, a grad student named Leroy Alloways began working on his dissertation at the University of California, Davis. I was a mechanical engineer who did not really like reading. But in doing the research, he found himself having a ball. And I was loving it because I would find things that I'm just going, this is amazing. This story has to go into the dissertation. The title of Alloway's project, it was a typically academic mouthful. Aerodynamics of the curveball, an investigation of the effects of angular velocity on baseball trajectories. That's right, Alloway's, in hopes of one day developing innovative batting practice machines, was studying the physics of the pitch that has frustrated hitters since baseball's earliest days in the 1800s. But here's the thing. The reason Alloways was having so much fun, well, it's because he stumbled upon story after story of fans, journalists, and even physicists disputing whether a baseball could actually curve. In baseball terms, it was the equivalent of arguing that the Earth is flat. It took nearly as long to sort out. I don't think we'll ever have debates like we had on the curveball. The Baseball Hall of Fame says the first player to throw a curveball was a fellow in the 1860s named Candy Cummings. Cummings played for the Excelsior Baseball Club in Brooklyn, but he grew up in Massachusetts, and it was there, as a teenager, that the curveball light bulb went off. He was walking down the beach and picking up clamshells and making the clamshells curve. And he thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could do a, make a baseball curve the same way? Cummings tinkered with grips for a few years and then, in 1867, started throwing curveballs during games, the first time against Harvard. When a batter struck at the ball, it seemed to go about a foot beyond the end of his stick, Cummings later recalled in a letter. I tried again with the same result, and then I realized that I had succeeded at last. But those who weren't at the games and could not see it, they doubted it, as always discovered during the early days of his research. He had come across references to a debate in the Cincinnati Inquirer about curveballs, but newspaper archives weren't online yet, and he hadn't found proof. Then he took a trip to Cooperstown, New York, hallowed ground for baseball fans. And um, I went to the Baseball Hall of Fame, and they have a beautiful research library, and I asked them for their file on, on curveballs, and they gave me this file. And I think the second paper I picked up was a photocopy of the 1877 Cincinnati article, and I almost fainted. I called it the first debate of the curveball. The clipping was actually letters to the editor by two physics professors, apparently at the behest of editors trying to induce a spirited and entertaining debate for readers. 19th century clickbait. One professor said, yes, curveballs were possible. Baseballs rotated and altering rotations produced different movements. The other was skeptical and wrote, it is not only theoretically but practically impossible for any such impetus to be conveyed to a moving body as would be required to perform the action supposed. Now it was game on, quite literally. 
Somehow it was decided that an upcoming game in Cincinnati between the hometown Reds and the Boston Redcaps would be stopped in the second inning and the pitchers would take part in an experiment to, as the paper put it, knock all philosophical arguments higher than Beecher's life of Christ and settle the question beyond a certainty. Always described the test with drawings in his dissertation. And down the first base foul line, they, uh, they erected a couple fences and they put a post at, the, at one end of it. And the post meant that a pitcher could not reach across the foul line to throw a ball. Otherwise, he would hit the post and, and hurt his arm. And so the concept was he would throw a curveball that started on one side of the foul line and then curved around the two fences that they had set up. The fences, they were actually solid, so there would be no question about wind or optical illusions. Well, wouldn't you know it, the balls curved. And the Cincinnati Inquirer wrote, you know, after that, that everybody was extremely satisfied and and so on. End of story? No, not even close. The debate continued on and off for decades. Always found a 1941 letter to the editor in The New Yorker that might, in retrospect, have been a parody on the debates raging in newspapers. It read, Now I'll tell you something, boy. No man alive, no man that's ever lived has thrown a curveball. It can't be done. And that's the first line of my dissertation, so it's a line I remember. The letter, as well as photo essays on the curveball in Life magazine, inspired more tests and experiments. None other than Igor Sikorsky, a pioneer in the development of the helicopter, was enlisted in 1949 by some baseball fans who also happened to be United Airlines executives. Sigorsky and his engineers used a wind tunnel and some fancy scientific instruments to confirm, once again, that baseballs could very much curve. Eventually, televisions came into homes. Fans everywhere could now see the magic for themselves, ultimately putting to rest, finally and forever, this very strange debate. As for Alloways, his dissertation has become a cult object to baseball fans, discussed in online chat rooms and at StatGeek conventions. And his research, along with other historical tidbits and data he turned up, is now in the Baseball Hall of Fame. A fact that kind of blows his mind, given he never made it past Little League. I'm Mike Rosenwald. Thanks for listening. For more forgotten stories from history, visit WashingtonPost.com slash Retropod.